an initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 45 years ago, I was 19 years old, and I remember where I was when Humani Vitae was announced. I was in Europe, traveling with a band, a marching concert band. I was a trumpet player, and I still remember the moment. I was on the bus, and I was holding, I was standing up for some reason, and I remember them announcing Humana Vitae, and it just said that it was against contraception. And as a 19-year-old who was thinking more about the draft in Vietnam, for some reason it did stick in my mind that why did the church not change its position on that? So I, I still remember that moment. Now, another little story. Um, Dr. Rabbi Abraham Tversky, who is a psychiatrist, he graduated from the Marquette Medical School when we still have our medical school. <clears throat> he gave a presentation at an early natural family planning conference in the early 80s, and I wrote, read the proceedings. When he began his talk, and he was speaking on the psychological dynamics of natural family planning, he said, well, this topic is like a, a black cat at midnight in a dark alley. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to be talking about this and after dinner. Well, I hope to shed a little light in that little dark alley with that little dark black cat this evening. We'll see what we'll do. I have a lot of slides. I'll be going through them fast. Um, I hope I'm not going to um, flash them too much so I don't put anybody into seizures. So here we go. <laughs> okay, um, I'm going to overlap a little bit. I have a prologue, and I'm, it's sort of a transition from what Father Peter um, talked about in regards to some of the history. He mentioned that uh, Costa Canubi came out, was just right after, about a year, less than a year later after the Lambeth Conference, when the first time a major, Catholic, major Christian church said that contraception could be used for just certain reasons among married couples. Um, he said, so long as the intrinsic nature of the act is preserved, and that's a very important key point. But what was happening in regards to natural family planning at that time? It wasn't called that. Well, there is scientists, I'm very interested in the history of what was going on in regards to the development of natural family planning. This person here, there's two people that are, are giving the credit for beginning the first scientific method of natural family planning. Before then, there was people guessing about where the time of the fer fertile time was. Um, this is Dr. Ojino. He was a OBGYN in Japan. Um, he was a, also a surgeon, and he would do gynecological surgery, and he was able to identify the egg and the corpus luteum and able to track that out. He kept records. And from his tracking of when the egg would be released in that corpus luteum, he was able to determine approximately how long the luteal or the menstrual cycle would occur after ovulation. And from that data, he began, began thinking about putting together a calendar method. Dr. Naus, who was from Germany in Prague, he was doing another thing. I'm going to be showing you some of his labs in a moment in regards to how he was trying to track what we call the fertile window of that time. But those were the scientists who were putting data together. It took practitioners to think, how am I going to use this information? And in the Netherlands and Europe was this Dr. Joseph Smolders, a Dutch physician who actually put together what we call the first calendar methods that was used in Europe. But one of my heroes is Dr. Leo Latz. I'm going to be talking about him because he's a Catholic physician at a Catholic university and what happened to him. 
Now, <clears throat> Pius XII, I'm a health care professional. I teach professional nurses. And as Father Peter Ryan mentioned about Pius XII, his talk to actually these Catholic midwives were nurses that specialize in obstetric nursing. Now, the Pope was saying that you be well informed. Well, what are they supposed to be informed about? The methods of natural family planning at that time. Um, it is not the priest, but it's you uh, to marry, to instruct married couples. And not only that, they have to know all that stuff, but then no one defend this theory, no one defend the moral law. That's a lot to ask in regards to um, learning all that stuff. Um, it takes a lot. Now, just to back up a little bit, Father Ryan also talked about what could pastors do. What was kind of interesting, the first time that temperature, the basal body temperature was used, was developed by a parish priest, Father Wilhelm Hillebrand from Germany. He was teaching the calendar method and was getting unattended pregnancies. His brother was a physician that knew about Vandevelt and the temperature changes. He added that, and he's known about the first person to combine temperature with calendar. And he actually got a honorary doctor from the University of Berlin in 1969. So, parish priest. But, what it says here, priests should be teaching the moral law of the nurses, health professionals, what I'm interested in. Um, but, Pius XII also mentioned about, in 1958, Natural law cannot countenance the use of steroids because that's when steroids, the contraceptive pill, wasn't, wasn't okayed yet by the FDA. That was 1960, end of it. But they were using it, even though it was allowed for other things, physicians were beginning to use it. They knew about the suppressive nature of it. So he already was talking about the pill at that time and making comments. It wasn't encyclical. But um, this is also still being talked about in regards to using the pill or hormones for illicit that can be used to treat serious organic dysfunctions. And there's a lot of controversy in medicine and Catholic healthcare right now about that. Um, I read my Humana Vitae again last night, even though I have it in my course, online course, a whole chapter on this. Um, I re read it again, I actually added a few more slides, which I shouldn't have done, because I thought, wow, I forgot about these, some of these things, and it's, um, it speaks to me. But here is where he's challenging health professionals. Again, acquire the knowledge necessary. Where are they gonna get that knowledge? Well, they should be getting it from the Catholic University, through the Catholic medical schools, through the Catholic nursing programs. Um, do they get it from them? Give to marry a couple of persons wise counsel and sound directions, right to expect. But, what, this is a slide that I had in, but last night I was reading more. What else does he ask of us? Let them preserve and promote on every occasion the discovery of solutions inspired by faith. That's a big component and right reason. You need that reason and faith, so both of those need to come together. Um, that's not easy to do. But here's another thing that I struggle with my own colleagues, and I'll talk more about this. Strive to arouse this conviction and this respect among your associates. Very, very difficult to do today in the health professions. Um, Paul VI then also continued talking about this um, before he died, and I think in 1978 or so. Um, again, he's talked about the knowledge and responsibility in scientific research needs to be intensified. He talked about breaking your back over this, um, being supported with funds. Well, where are these funds supposed to come from? Research, very, very expensive. I just did one study, $600,000, to be doing studies that are believable and be able to do it. So it takes a lot of money, but where is it gonna come from? Um, and to, which are proportionate to the issues of the question and to the services rendered.
Now, where does Catholic healthcare or what to um, healthcare professionals think about natural family planning? I did some studies along with Dr. Hansen and Stanford. Well, essentially, they don't think much of it. First of all, they maybe get 10, 15 minutes. You look at the chapters in the textbook. There's one or two paragraphs. Um, I just have one of my new um, persons online. She's a, a certified nurse midwife. She went to the Marquette program and asked her how much to get in a natural family plan. She said, oh, about 10 minutes um, at a Catholic school. Um, but that's all over the place, <clears throat> even though we do have an um, institute at Marquette University. Um, he asked female physicians what they would use, only about 1 to 2 percent, and that's actually a lot you would consider using natural family planning. They don't think it is accurate, effective enough, and there's some evidence that maybe some of that is true, um, but they might use it, and they don't trust it, and they might use it, however, for people who have subfertility in helping them. So, how many people in the United States use natural family planning? How many Catholics use natural family planning? Well, I've done a number of studies looking at the National Survey of Family Growth, which is a population base, and only about 0.1% are currently using natural family planning. Among Catholics, not much better, 0.2%. In fact, Catholics and non-Catholics centrally use contraception just about the same. What is the number one method that couples use in the United States to avoid pregnancy? Anybody know? No, it's not the pill. If you combine male and female together, it is sterilization. Now, the pill is number one just for women, but if you talk about the man at it, it, it is sterilization. And by the time you get to um, 34, 32 kids, sterilization is by far the number one method. So that tells you that people in the United States have difficulty living with their fertility. Um, so what is natural family planning? Well, it's essentially um, it's the ability to determine, estimate the fertile time of the menstrual cycle. And with that information, the couple could use that information to either to avoid or to achieve pregnancy. And Father Ryan talked about the beauty of natural family planning. It tells you it's, that it's different than contraception because you can use it to achieve pregnancy. Um, but it also means don't use withdrawal, condoms and barriers, or develop any ways and uh, develop ways of expressing non-genital sexuality. Actually, this part here is probably the hardest part for couples. I'll talk more about that. It can also be used as a vital sign. Right now there's a movement that the, the menstrual cycle is a vital sign for a woman's health. Um, it's a holistic, it integrates, it is healthy way. Um, it's, it's ability to monitor fertility and to modify behaviors. Now, not only do you have the information, but when you have the intention to avoid, then you have to learn how to do that through self-masteries. What's nice about natural family planning is that couples can share the responsibility and live with their fertility. Now, there's another movement in among health professionals, even among Catholic health professionals, by saying it's calling it fertility awareness-based methods. In fact, I'm getting an argument <clears throat> where they're saying that NFP is a subset of fertility awareness. For fertility awareness means you track your cycles, this is your fertile time. Well, you can have the choice of using abstinence, but you can use condoms, barrier withdrawals, or so forth. So you have that choice to do that. Um, my whole thing is NFP is much broader, and maybe fertility awareness is actually an aberration. To me, it is not natural family planning. So, 
We also have the discussion, what is natural? In yesterday's Atlantic magazine, there was an article about going back to the old ways. The two old ways were withdrawal and some of the natural means. Well, they don't know what natural is. First of all, natural is it doesn't attack or do anything against fertility. Withdrawal, you are subjugating fertility. But when the Pope also talked about um, it, also the natural means it does not separate sex from fertility. Some people think, well, if you are taking your temperature every day, seeing your cervical mucus, charting, that's not very natural. That's not what is meant by natural. Um, actually, as I'm working with some of my doctoral students in this area, we really need a conceptualization of what is natural family planning because there's always this confusion, this argument, wanting to change this name. Um, one of my students, they have to develop brochures when they're in my um, online teacher training program for health professionals, and I'd read this quote, and I thought, oh, that's a neat quote, and I realized it was mine, and I thought, oh, I'll add that there, so. <laughs> NFP also requires that couples develop a sexual competency. That sexual competency is a so important part of what natural family planning is, in which one's sexual desires are at the service of love rather than satisfying one's own desires. So these are my, that was the prologue, that was long enough. So understand the scientific base shortly, provide evidence for the efficacy, and there's always discussion about efficacy. Apply an NFP to women's health in all these different special <laughs> circumstances where it's very difficult in these transitions, breastfeeding transitions, perimenopause. Um, then I'm gonna talk about the spiritual well-being and marital dynamics, a lot to cover. So um, I mentioned that Herman Nauss was Back in the 30s, actually in the 20s, he had this crude laboratory where he had this little balloon he would put into the uterus as a woman, and he would inject them with pitocin, and there was a little drum here with this bell jar, and before ovulation, the drum, the line would be like this, but after ovulation, it would go up and down like that. So he had a marker for the time of ovulation. Very crude, and he probably violated a whole bunch of uh, human rights. But a young physician, OBGYN, assistant professor at Loyola School of Medicine, went over to Germany to study under him. He came back, and in 1932, right after Acosta Canubi, he wrote a book called The Fertility and Sterility of the Fertile Time, the, uh, the Fertile Time and Rhythm of Women, and it said rhythm on it, and that's where we get the term rhythm method. And well, I'll have a picture of Dr. Leo Latz, but what happened to him is he got kicked off of the faculty of this Catholic medical school because he he had something like 400,000 of these little books. He was giving the empowering couples to use this information. Um, he was kicked off because they were saying that is for the priest and the confession to do, talk about things like that. So uh, it was at that time, but he remained faithful and everything. So <clears throat> Humana Vitae also talks in uh, section 24, two men of science, persons of science, advance the welfare of marriage and family. That's a lot to look at, marriage and family. Labor to explain more thoroughly the various conditions, breastfeeding, perimenopause, so forth, proper regulation of birth, provide a sufficient secure base. So when people have serious reasons to avoid, serious medical reasons, economic reasons, can they rely on these methods or not? Um, and then also, oops, fostering 
Authentic conjugal love, that's an awful lot to ask, I tell you. That could take years, I mean, centuries to do. So, right now, we're trying to define what is the fertile phase of the menstrual cycle. A woman by herself is probably fertile 12 to 24 hours at the most. Once the egg is released, that egg lives about, maybe can be fertilized about 12 hours. After that, nothing happens. So, something has to extend that. Well, the sperm from the man can live three to five days, most only three days. So you add that together, <clears throat> you got about four to six. So back in 1995, Wilcox et al. came out with a classic article in the New England Journal of Medicine. They were looking at couples who had one active intercourse, they were able to track the day of ovulation and track when, and track out when they got pregnant. The day of ovulation, fertility just goes down. The two most fertile days are the two days before. So we say that there's only five days in the fertile window, the day of ovulation, which is really goes down real quickly, and the five days before. I've been doing some research, and actually the average fertile window is only three days. So for subfertile couples, a lot of couples do not know how to find those three days in order to achieve pregnancy. And I'll be talking a little bit about achieving pregnancy with focused intercourse. <clears throat> but the fertile window doesn't stay at the same place like in cattle or cows. It moves around. For one cycle, the fertile window could be in the middle. Sometimes it might be early. For some people, it might be late. It can vary normally about seven days. So not only to track the beginning, the peak, and the end of the fertile window, you need indicators, natural indicators, self indicators that you'd be able to um, learn how to track these by yourself and the beginning, peak, and end, and then also track it where it's in the menstrual cycle. So, this is the menstrual cycle. Just to show you, there are chemicals from the brain that stimulates, rises and stimulates. A woman, when she is, a, before she's born, she has several million undeveloped eggs in her ovaries. By the time she's born, she has about 500,000. By the time she reaches puberty, is about 200,000. Um, by the time she is 35, it really goes down to maybe 500. <clears throat> Through our life, there might be about 400 ovulations. But every cycle, these chemicals stimulates a nesting of follicles where the eggs are in to develop. And there's usually one dominant one. And so the, right now, the best way of tracking this is through serial ultrasound, daily ultrasound, watching this egg develop and grow and become a very mature follicle and then seeing it collapse the next day and become a corpus luteum. Now, that is the gold standard by able to visualize what is happening to this egg developing a follicle. Now, they are getting smaller and smaller handheld ultrasound things and maybe in the future we'll be able to track that. <clears throat> but other markers could be if you could measure this rise, the follicle gives off estrogen and it rises like that. So this is the beginning of the fertile window when it rises. If you could see LH surge, this is luteinizing hormone that stimulates ovulation about 24 hours before ovulation. If you could measure this, that would be a good marker. And if you could measure progesterone, the follicle then changes, it gets luteinized from the luteinizing hormones and it produces progesterone. Progesterone heats up the body, it dries up cervical mucus, the estrogen um, softens the cervix and it produces watery type cervical mucus, so that opens up, and obviously that's the most fertile time. 
So if you can measure this progesterone rise, if you can measure the estrogen rise, and this LH, those would be great markers for being able to estimate the fertile time. So what are the traditional markers that are used today in the methods of natural family planning? Well, <coughs> calendar-based formulas that were developed from the people looking at the probabilities of pregnancy from way back in the 30s. There are some modern calendar methods I'll be talking about in regards to looking at when that fertile time hits in the menstrual cycle. We know that after ovulation, progesterone is released and heats up the body, woman's body temperature about one degree Fahrenheit or so. And so if you track temperature on a daily basis before the woman, just when a woman gets up before activity, you could see that it's a line like this and then it'll jump and that's an indicator, post indicator of ovulation. Cervical mucus, and I'll talk about that. As the egg ripens, it stimulates the cervix to produce mucus, and it opens up, and it becomes very watery. That watery mucus is what nourishes sperm so it can live three to five days and be ready when that egg is released. Um, and then we have hormones. Well, it'd be neat if we could measure these hormones of estrogen, LH, and progesterone. Um, I just published with a group of people from the University of Lyon, France, um, Ottawa, uh, Calgary, he's a biochemist in regards to looking at uh, P levels, progesterone levels, and be able to measure that to confirm ovulation. That technology is there, we need about $500,000. Anybody want to help fund this? Great, got you. <laughs> so, this just shows a picture again of what's happening in regards to some of the indicators. Development of the egg and the follicle, release of ovulation, the, uh, the luteal, luteinizes, and this is the um, corpus luteum. It heats up the body, so you have the temperature change, which is the indicator. The cervix becomes softer. It opens up. It produces mucus. So here's a woman looking at the mucus. You can see the changes from a sticky, then becomes more stretchy, very watery. It's about 300 milligrams comes out. It's very slippery. And then this progesterone also dries up, and it closes off the cervix. So this is a fertile window here and you have these external indicators that women use and we use in natural methods of family planning. Now, these methods, these indicators, however, are a little bit fuzzy. I did a study showing how this is the actual day of ovulation and this is where the peak mucus, in regards to estimated, is approximately seven days, um, plus or minus three days of the day of ovulation is about 98% when ovulation occurs, but it's kind of fuzzy. <clears throat> they did a study, Guida et al. did a study, Italian um, researchers looked at basal body temperature, cervical mucus, um, the LH surge, um, saliva, and other indicators. And you can see how it tracks out the actual day of ovulation. The most tight one is the LH surge. That's a hormone. Be neat if we can measure that. So these are the current basic methods that you might hear about calendar rhythm, basal body temperature, ovulation method, which is cervical mucus alone, symptothermal ads, um, cervical mucus with basal body temperature, and maybe cervical changes. I, I don't advocate that. And we now have hormonal monitoring, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Now, you hear about the methods that are provided in our diocese and throughout the United States. 
we have the Billings ovulation method. John and Evan Billings, back in the 50s, started developing this Billings ovulation method based upon cervical mucus alone. And these are based on some studies regards, I'll be talking more about perfect use and typical use in regards to um, the pregnancy rate. We also have the Creighton model developed by Dr. Thomas Hilders and several nurses and his wife Sue. Um, I learned the Creighton model back in the 50s and we, pro we provided Creighton model for about 15, 16 years at Marquette University before we developed our own method. Um, this is NAPR technology, which is a medical, um, using the Creighton model as a basis for providing what is called natural procreative technology and some of the studies. Actually, I did one of the first um, scientific studies regards to efficacy of the Creighton model. Symptothermal method, which is utilized with a couple, a couple league, many use that, and they look at some of the figures here. They use the, actually, the, um, Studies coming out of Germany in regards to the symptothermal method. 1990, one of the developers of the pill, Carol Gerasi, said in the journal um, Science that there's going to be jet age NFP in the future where women are actually by themselves able to measure their reproductive hormones. Well, I have to let you know that we are in the jet age and even past it. So we can measure, you can measure your own hormones to determine your fertile window. Um, there are, well, there's LH detection kits. You go to Walgreens, Osco's, you can get a whole bunch of LH detection kit, and they're getting better and better. The actually digital ones will tell you this is the day. Um, the ovarian monitor was by James Ron. I'm not gonna talk about that. That's not available. But the clear blue monitor came out in around 1998, which measures the estrogen rise and the LH surge. It gives you two markers, and it pinpoints the fertile window. <clears throat> in Europe, the persona monitor is based upon the clear blue, but it just gives red and green light. We utilize this monitor in what I call the Marquette method, one of the, the um, branches of the Marquette method. Um, we integrated some of this new technology. I'll be talking a little bit more about it. But just about four months ago, they developed a smaller monitor called the Advanced Digital, which measures not only the, it measures from baseline that estrogen rise, but then it measures the LH rise, which is actually even more accurate than the threshold. So we're becoming more and more accurate in regards to pinpointing with confidence that fertile window. Now, this shows you, you can download information from these monitors, and the dark blue here is when the estrogen rise. This is when the LH surge occurs, and ovulation occurs on this. So we now know through the University of Munster and different studies that 98 to 99% of the time, ovulation will occur in these three days. About 92% in these two days. So taking that seven days with the fuzzy cervical mucus, we have reduced it to around two to three days. So efforts of some of the Catholic universities, Evangelium Vitae, and even Pius Pope, uh, Paul said, Pope Paul VI wanted Catholic scientists to work on this. Well, there are Catholic scientists working on this. Um, I mentioned from Loyola and Leo Latz. This is Leo Latz. This is a book, The Rhythm, where we get the rhythm method from. Um, he wrote this with a doctor, a father, Rainier, who was a Jesuit. But again, he was kicked off the medical school um, because of his work uh, was too advanced in his time. <clears throat> so, uh, and, but his goal, this is the rhythm. Now, the rhythm wasn't the fertility and fertile and infertile times of the cycle, even though I like rhythm, that makes sense. It was giving these two numbers, which was the beginning and the end of the fertile time, the estimated fertile time. 
Um, but he wanted to be able, social workers, nurses, and physicians, to be able to provide a simple method within a 10 to 15 minute um, office visit, which would be integrated into a medical practice. Um, and they developed very simple tools to be able to track that. We do have a modern form. Georgetown University, Catholic University, they have developed through USAID funds a very simple calendar-based method. These white beads are goes from days 8 to 19. You have the red bead start of menses, this little flange goes, goes through these beads here. They actually glow in the dark and the fertile phase is from days 8 to 19. It's called a fixed calendar method. And the fertile window will fall within these days if you have a cycle uh, more than 21 days and less than 36 days. Efficacy, 95% with correct use, 88% typical use. And that's with people in Guatemala, Panama, Peru, not the white monitor, uh, um, middle class or richer uh, Catholic uh, um, educated people that we do a lot of our studies with. They also developed very simple mucus method where you ask two questions. Did I note any secretions today? Did I note any secretions yesterday? If you say yes to either of those questions, you're in the fertile phase. If you say no to those two questions, you're not in the fertile phase. Very easy. How effective? 96.5%. Again, the same types of populations. These are some of my, these are from Georgetown. She's from England doing some research on the symptothermal method. This is Dr. Petra Frank, a good friend of mine from the University of Heidelberg, developed the German method, the European method called the double check method. Um, where they actually use mucus and temperature and then an algorithm for the beginning, and they got fantastic results in regards to about 99% correct use and about 97% typical use. And I'll talk about what that means. And these are some of the results here. So, this is their book in German. Kevin and I will read that later. <laughs> so, Efforts by Market University. This is one of my colleagues, Mary Schneider. She's an advanced practice nurse. She's in the PhD program. She's also my PhD student. She's studying the um, breastfeeding transition. Um, as I mentioned, we utilize the um, clear blue monitor, which has a little test strip. You put it under urine stream. You clip it into the monitor. It reads the antibodies. There's little lines. It, there's a infrared light. And when there's one box, it means low fertility. Two boxes, the estrogen rise is high fertility. With that ripe egg there, that means peak fertility. So it gives a lot of good information. We also, when we were first developing method, you, and we still do teach use of mucus, but we broke it down to low, beginning high, we're starting to stretch, and then peak when it's very watery, slippery, um, a lot of glycogen here, that's the peak, and then when the progesterone, it dries up again. So mucus is nice because it covers the entire fertile window, but it can get a little bit fuzzy though, and some people have continuous mucus and have some problems. And this is the first type of chart that we developed where you have the uh, monitor readings here and then the tracking out from one to eight, the mucus. And you can actually see when you track it out this way, that you can see the fertile window here. <coughs> but Efficacy in natural family planning. We want easier to use methods of family planning. We want access to use them, but are they effective or not? Are they what the Pope called secure? So when you have serious reasons, you can have confidence in them. So efficacy. Well, not every study that is done is a good study. And right now in science, especially in healthcare, we call, call evidence-based practice based on levels of evidence. 
Randomized control trials where you randomize into one method and compare with another method is one of the top types of evidence. When you bring all those together in systematic reviews is what changes practice. The lowest level is editorial experts. No, no, um, it doesn't say a physician experts going into the paper and saying this is the way it is. You get panels of experts is what we call levels of evidence, but that's the lowest here. We want up, up here is what the better studies are. The IOM, Institute of Medicine, is also has a hundred things where they like to look at comparisons so we can inform you in regards to making health decisions. One of them in the top 25 is looking at methods of family planning and comparing what the best. Well, they're interested in contraceptive methods, but you could also use it for natural family planning. I'm saying which method of NFP works best for which couples for achieving and avoiding pregnancy and what under circumstances of, is of interest to those health providers who provide or refer for a moral and integrative approach to family planning. That is not easy to do. We have various camps in the United States which is holding some of this back. But there are terms when, you got, when you're looking at efficacy of methods. There is perfect use or correct use. The only way you can get correct use and perfect use is prospectively, couples are charting and the scientists are able to read every chart. And what you're looking for, are they following instructions, are they avoiding intercourse if you're trying to avoid pregnancy? If they have intercourse on a fertile time, um, that's not correct use. Those cycles need to be pulled out. So all the cycles that are correct use get into a formula and what we'll talk about. That becomes correct use. You only can do that prospectively. Typical use is when they're using it correctly, but also when they're not following the instructions consistently or charting consistently, um, there's errors. And so you add those cycles together, you get what is typical use or average use. Another thing that's important that I try to bring out is the difference between correct use and incorrect use. If you have a big difference, that means it's probably difficult to use because it's a behavioral method. Periodic absence, that's not always easy. Sometimes those indicators are not very clear. So I have a very, very effective method. It's called the fairing method. The first day of the menstrual cycle and the last day of the menstrual cycle are the infertile times. All the rest of the times are fertile times. I guarantee you that's going to be 100%, but how many people are going to be able to use that? Now you laugh, you laugh, but some of our methods of natural family planning cover a lot of the menstrual cycle. Mucus method is about 17 days on average. The standard days, as I mentioned, 8 to, eight to 12 is 12, well they have 12 days, um, 8 to 19 I mean it's 12 days. Um, the hormonal monitoring is down to 6 days. This is a slide from my English colleague showing the various methods and you can see that the cervical secretions is almost like a post-ovatory method. Well, you can get high efficacy, but this is going to be typical use. Can couples really use it? Especially when you get into um, irregular cycles, breastfeeding cycles, perimenopause, things like that. Now these are modern studies. Well. Except for 1981 was a classic study done by the World Health Organization. Five countries, New Zealand, Australia, let's see, New Zealand, a um, couple of South American studies, Ireland, forget all the studies, but it was multiple, multiple countries using the ovulation method and it came out to be 97 correct use, 
but only 78% typical use. I've been finding the same thing with cervical mucus. Now, the ovulation method people sort of cringe when, and they don't like talking about this. Um, but that was an excellent study. And when you have multiple sites like that, diverse population, you're getting more of a better picture. <clears throat> Creighton model, the fixed calendar days, you can see the correct use, this is survival um, in the total. Now the Frank Herman, see 97 was very, very excellent. That's better than the pill. The pill is about 92 um, or eight pregnancies per 100 women. These are some of the studies that our first study, I'll talk a little bit about, <clears throat> but some of our recent study, and then this study came out this year, which was our federally funded study. <clears throat> now, um, the director of Couple of Couple League, Mike Manhart, Dr. Manhart's a friend of mine, um, and we did a, um, a presentation in July to the National Association of Catholic Family and Life Ministers, and we looked at the integrated, we look at and grade the various research, and we this is my grades, and that's why my students don't like me, because I sort of grade lower. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but the person who is most known in regards to efficacy in the United States is from Princeton by the name of James Trussell. He's actually an economist, but he publishes from the National Survey of Family Growth every six, seven years in the journal Contraception. This gets into all the medical nursing texts, um, and he's the guru in regards to efficacy and how he ranks them out. Actually, I put some of this stuff in here. He doesn't look at the market method, um, some of these things. But you can see <coughs> the pill is about 0.3 with correct use. That's 0.3 unintended pregnancies per 100 women over 12 months of use. That's just the opposite of that survival number or 99.7% um, <coughs> or eight unintended pregnancy. So you can see where the various methods, natural methods fall. And actually, just recently, he put them below withdrawal and spermicides uh, in regards to efficacy. He is followed in the medical community, and um, so he's a very important voice. Now, we are constantly developing and upgrading our method. And our first method, we came out around 98%, 86%, but now with our, some of our latest studies and refining our methods, coming around 93%, which is as good as the pill. Um, but again, you, oh, what I also wanted to say about these studies, look at the menstrual cycle length, 25 to 32. That's regular cycles. These are somewhat cherry-picked women. Most of them are educated. And we still don't know whether these, quote, modern methods are any more effective than the old calendar rhythm methods. There's never been a randomized study. Maybe those calendar methods are just as effective. And why would you want to do all these things when you can do just very simple things? Um, so we do need a study looking at some of that. Um, <clears throat> but I did a study because we need to do comparisons because I taught Creighton Model, my professional nurses, Master of Fair Advanced Nurses, Dr. Kathy Raviel, OBGYN, in Atlanta, Dr. Mary Lee Barron at St. Louis University. All three of us pulled our studies together because we all taught we were master teachers of the Creighton method. And so we compared the Creighton method with the Marquette method. This is a cohort. This is not randomized comparison. So it's a little bit lower. But correct use is very close. But typical use, 77.2. That's near what the World Health Organization. We had 87% with the Marquette method using the monitor. Um, so 
I think using the monitor, maybe simple with a row method, might be a little bit more objective than that. Um, <clears throat> but this is, this is the old Marquette method. I wanted to make it able to teach the Marquette method if it, within a 12 to 15 minute medical um, office visit. And so we developed a very simple algorithm. I'm not going to go through it. Um, and I'll tell you how we even made this more simple. But we made a very simple algorithm. We have a slideshow that you can watch in 10 minutes, but we also developed an online site so we could reach people around the world. We also have it in Spanish. But we have quick and start instructions. You can read one page and begin using our method. Um, we have information on special circumstances. We have an online charting system that automatically interprets the fertile window. We have online discussion rooms, and we have consultants with nurses, advanced practice nurses, OBGYN, and a bioethicist moral theologian. He's from some university in Steubenville, Ohio. <laughs> I can't think of the name, and uh, no, uh, Dr. Kevin Miller is our consultant for that. So uh, Kevin and I, um, any bioethics things, I shoot it over to him, and we have enough of them. So this is the uh, front page. We, we launched this in 2008. I'm on this, oh, and this is our um, online charting system where these pop-up windows and you just hit this and it automatically calculates the fertile time. And we also have um, the monitor here. They can chart their um, bleeding levels and so forth. I'm able to read these things as I read. I'm on it two to three. In fact, I was on about four hours today. I have about 20, 30 and very, very complex in regards to um, uh, miscarriages and, and just complex things that you have to deal with and I'm dealing with it every day um, and we I'll talk more about that but I got six hundred thousand dollars from your tax money think of this federal government asking for studies on natural family planning and providing money for six large studies it wasn't under this administration it was a previous one and they <laughs> they had the head of the Office of Population Affairs was a physician who was pro-life and everything and had the foresight of putting aside some money. I applied for it to do a randomized comparison study, which I got published in the journal Contraception. High-level journal, very, very difficult. I took about seven months going back and forth, arguing with the editors, with the people peer-reviewing it. The editor said, natural family planning isn't natural. It's not natural taking your temperature or monitoring every day. I did not want to argue with her, so the title of it actually is Fertility Awareness, but we're very clear in the article that it was based on abstinence, not on the other thing. So there are some things that you have to give in regards to get into the medical community. But we were looking at a comparison of avoiding pregnancy with the two methods, monitoring mucus, monitoring the, uh, using the hormone monitor. We also look at satisfaction and mutual motivation, very important. And I'll show you why. This is the differences between correct use. There was not much different. We had 100% with the monitor, 98%, 97% survival with mucus. No statistical difference. But there was a big difference in regards to typical use. 93 or 7 unattended pregnancies per 100 or 12 months of youth versus 81. That was statistically. We do what is called hazard ratios, and you can see it visually how the mucus method went up. However, I think our mucus method 81 is actually better than the other mucus method because we have another indicator of a calendar-based thing to determine the beginning and end. Now, motivation. Soon, we actually, for each menstrual cycle, ask the woman and the man, husband and wife, to rate how hard 
they're trying to avoid pregnancy and how much they wanted to avoid pregnancy from 1 to 10. We did that for every cycle. So we're able to determine the influence of motivation. Soon as motivation comes down with 1 below 8 pregnancy. So you can see the difference. This is high motivation, only 8 per 100 versus 75 per 100. So you can see why motivation is very important in learning natural family plaque. Mutual motivation. <clears throat> this is a, the hazard ratio you can see when motivation goes down, unintended pregnancy goes up. So we want to make it even easier for these young people out here who are on their things and uh, no, they don't use these cell phones anymore. They use the thumbs and the apps and the Twitter. You got to reach that population. But you also need to reach the poor population. Um, this is Dr. Ahmed, Sheikh Ahmed from Bangladesh. He's, uh, he's on faculty at Marquette. He's a professor at Marquette in the mass computer science. He works in Bangladesh with breast cancer women out in the boonies and they use cell phones because they're text-based, but the infrastructure in Bangladesh is able to pick up the satellites, but, and so they have cell phones. So he has a um, monitoring device in regards to asking questions in regards to a person with cancer. But uh, this young man here is um, my graduate student. He's in the computer science program. Uh, this is Mary again, who is one of my PhD students, another PhD student. Uh, Shim Yu is working with me on looking at uh, subfertility. But we're, this is our app team, and we're developing an app. It will be going into the Apple Store for review probably next week. Um, it's using, looking at all the indicators. We actually are adding a few indicators here where you just hit it. Um, and it will calculate and it'll show uh, by the blue and the dark blue the fertile time. So my instructions now to avoid pregnancy, do not intercourse on the moderate and dark blue days. If you want to get pregnant, have intercourse on the moderate and dark blue days. Pretty easy, huh? Um, and every time you hit it, it will tell you this day is a day you can get pregnant if you have intercourse. Doesn't take much to you know, think that this is a day you should avoid. So um, it should be launched. Oh, just another thing about that. Just recently, about four months ago, the two developers of PayPal developed a fertility app. Guess how much they spent? Four to six million dollars on a fertility app. Um, they had that money to spend. I've been spending about $50,000 just to do that. And my website, approximately $100,000. The security and things like that is just mind-boggling. Um, but you think about it, I wish I had that $6 million. Okay, a little bit, I gotta jump. <clears throat> Holy, going too fast. I just wanna say that use of NFP within medical applications is very important, especially with difficult medical cases. This woman had breast cancer, she was on tamoxifen, she was told you cannot get pregnant, you should get your husband sterilized. Well, they were Catholic. They came to me, we put her used in the monitor and was able to track out her fertile time, even though the tamoxifen was screwing up her temperature and her mucus. Uh, she was able to use it for five years to avoid pregnancy. Um, we just launched a medical application course looking at the menstrual cycle of vital sign, um, use of NFP with subfertility, uterine bleeding, PCOS, um, PMS, and so forth. And um, it's through the Medical College of Wisconsin for the CMEs. As I mentioned, I'm online every day answering health problems with women. Right now we have <clears throat> over 11,000 posts, and these are just a sampling of the medical and 
problems that I deal with on a daily basis. We just completed a study on focus intercourse with my other doctoral student. And when you have intercourse on high and fertile time, guess what? You're going to get pregnancy pregnant much sooner. This is when they're not having intercourse in the fertile times, only five pregnancies per 100 versus 87 per 100 over 12 months of use. Right now, what medicine says, don't use focus intercourse, just use random intercourse. Well, random intercourse. We're saying, well, it's easier to get pregnant if you use focus. Breastfeeding transition, very confusing. About a third of our women are coming with breastfeeding. What do you do during that breastfeeding transition when you're not ovulating or when you get into the first six cycles, which are extremely long, you don't when you're ovulating? This woman came to me. She was using a mucus method. She had five kids under the age of three or four. Um, mucus all over the place. I can't find my fertile window. What to do? I didn't know what to do, but I thought the monitor. Okay, so what we're doing is asking them to create artificial cycles. Right now we're doing 20 because the monitor will measure for 20 days in a row. So we're asking them, re-trigger the monitor every 20 days to follow when the estrogen rises and you have your first ovulation and your first menstrual cycle. So we developed this protocol and got into fertility sterility and we just, I had a, um, a medical resident do a study with us looking at the efficacy and this just shows the variability of the menstrual cycle. This is the breastfeeding protocol. Um, but we had zero pregnancies with correct use. Oh, wait, one preg two pregnancies with correct use, but over six months, no pregnancies. Eight per 100 women over 12 months, um, which is much better than the current methods of NFP. First time I talked to the Catholic Medical Association, first question was from a doc, what about during perimenopause? I couldn't answer them very well. <clears throat> so there are no studies with natural family planning on the use of women with perimenopause, perimenopause. Women who are older, who are fearful of getting pregnant, they're less energy, they might have, their eggs and the sperm are very old and there's more likelihood of, of uh, embryo defects and things like that. So yes, there's reason to be fearful. Um, the World Health Organization says you can't use fertility awareness or NFP. So I did a study um, hopefully to get a pre uh, pregnant, hopefully, uh, hopefully to get it published. Um, <laughs> I hope they don't get pregnant. <laughs> um, I submitted about three months ago and waiting for the answer. <clears throat> but, but we had a four unattended pregnancies, correct? And, and they were the early 40s, and one of them was just post-menopause, I mean post, um, postpartum. Um, but we had a 94 or six pregnancies per 100 users, 12 months of use. Now, I think it's partially they limit, they're more, they limited their family, they're more motivated, and there's less fertility at that time. But we're showing that, yes, NFP can work. Right now, what is recommended by the medical is to continue on hormones one year past menopause, um, or most people get what? Sterilized. Um, you think the overuse of hormones, which causes breast cancer and everything, and then Destroying your fertility is the answer right now. Do I have maybe about 10 minutes yet? Okay, I, this is probably the most important part. Father Ryan was talking about the Papal Birth Control Commission. Um, this is um, Dr. John Rock, Dr. Garcia, and Dr. Drossi who developed the birth and got the FDA approval. Um, I could talk about the unethics of that sometime. Um, but that was all happening during that time uh, in questioning what about this pill? Um, but the first papal 
commission um, was a response to the United Nations. But they had three married couples on the commission, one from France, the Randus. He was a physician and his wife, the Potvins from Canada, and the Crowleys from the United States. They were very important. The Crowleys started in 1948 what is called the Christian Family Movement. It still exists today. They were the head of it. Um, they were on the commission, Chicago area couple, and they were asked to do a study with their members. They had 145,000 members throughout the world. Um, and so they worked with a professor from, from Notre Dame, Dr. Barrett, and they reported to commission the results of the study. Now the study from a scientific standpoint is no good, and I could tell you why, because of the, the uh, biasing and everything. <clears throat> but I could not get a hold of her papers, which is the, at University of Notre Dame, unless I went through, through Patty Crowley. She's dead now, rest in peace. But Dr. Marshall, who was also on the commission, had his papers and they were available. So I actually got it, the study and all the comments from couples in the actual study, and I reanalyzed the data. But this is the result that they presented to the commission. Um, 158 couples. Now these couples were the leaders, and they reported to Patty Crowley, and they actually had an act um, publication that talked about the difficulties of rhythm, so they were just biased. It was a lousy study, but they did it. They reported. Um, was responses to, was rhythm helpful? Well, 30 said helpful in spacing. Contribute to harmony. Well, that's not bad. Harmony of husband and wife, important aid to spiritual life. That's the helpful part, but then was it harmful? No harm, 22%. And these are some of the other things that they found. Well, what did Patty Crowley say to commission? And she has this right in her paper. Is there a bad psychological effect? Yes. Does rhythm serve useful purpose? A few say it may. Is rhythm unnatural? Yes. Does it contribute to marital unity? No. So she also said to the priests and the theologians on the commission, we're a married couple. We're the ones that have to practice chastity. You are, well, you have to too, but um, we, we're married couples. You don't know how we have to respond and deal with this. And so I think she also put a little guilt trip. And I think being ahead of this uh, commission that she was not afraid to talk to the commission and wasn't cowered by it. Now, the Rendus actually had a different response. But I think in Humana Vitae, they're saying it was harmful to marital life. And I read in Humana Vitae, um, the observance of periodicum, far from harming conjugal love, confers on a higher value. And he points out all the different values. If you look at this, this is what happens to marital life. That's wonderful. If you read this, if a married couple would read this, wouldn't they want all this stuff? Fosters attention, one couple, drives off selfishness, and all that stuff. From a scientist, however, I want to say, is this true? Um, can we find this out or not? Can we ask couples, does this really happen? So what did I do? I repeated the Crowley study, and I did a comparison. We analyzed the data from the Crowleys. We had the verbatims. I have a graduate student, Elizabeth Sutton. Um, and we analyzed it from a more scientific, qualitative uh, uh, methodology and looked at it. And then looked at modern couples using the Billings ovulation method. Um, anyways, you know, this is just comparing. The Crowley couples are in red. They're a little bit older. Or a little bit younger, I should say. Let's see. Let's see here. But you'll see the red. We had three themes. God, church, and fruits and thorns. Well, the relationship with God 
is this God's plans? There's questions God plans. Is disrupting of God-given freedom? The NFP couples, fertility is God's gift, God's will, graces will flow. You can see the difference. Um, this is relationship with church, grudging acceptance, obsolete. We still hear that obsolete, imposition, harmful. Billings couples, the more modern couples, NFP is a perfect fit. Consistent with church teaching, increase understanding, increase love. Um, all things worthwhile involve sacrifice. That's not bad. That's pretty good, actually. Increase self-discipline. That's pretty good, I would think. Um, prayer and sacrifice help to cope. Um, occasion of sin, temptation. Yes, there's some frustration. So that is bad. I think you get a little bit better picture of what they're experiencing. Um, so I also wanted to see, is there a difference between couples on contraception versus natural family planning? Well, I couldn't do that randomized. That would be unethical for me to do that. I went to a Catholic physician practice, OBGYN, and they had Catholic couples who were on contraception and things like that. So I matched NFB couples with Catholic um, contraceptive couples and looked at their spirituality and other dynamics. And this shows, these stars shows all these significant differences. Higher levels of NFP with spiritual well-being, religious, self-esteem. So I'm starting to show some evidence, it's not the best study, but showing some evidence that NFP does work. We also looked at qualitatively and showed the couples using NFP, some of the things, trust in God, satisfaction, and so forth. Um, but they did have some difficulties, difficulty with abstinence, lack of spontaneity, monitoring biological signs, unclear. Um, contraceptive people. What, and we were asking, you know, what effect does it have on your spirituality? They couldn't think of anything. It doesn't have anything to do with our spirituality. No effect, no relationship with God. You think, what? Your fertility has no relation? That's their responses. But, you know, being responsible, struggling. Um, so my overall thinking about this, if you think about Costa Canubi, integrated, fertility means integrated with the NFP couples, whereas with contraceptive fertility is not integrated. Um, I did some studies. You talk about working with your associate. I did with two um, PhD CNMs, uh, certified nurse midwives in our faculty who are very feminist. Well, I had them do a study, qualitative study, with me, <clears throat> and we had some really nice results. And they actually said that NFP is a best health secret that people should know about. Um, but we also replicated Dr. John Marshall was also on the commission. He was a psychologist or a psychiatrist who did some earlier studies and we replicated him, his study. Um, but if you look at some of the things that the Pope says in regard to responses, you can see increased fertility awareness, good effect of communication, spiritual well-being, and so forth. Um, there was a random study in Europe pulling out, and this is a better study because they randomized a population and they got people on the pill, sterilization, NFP. Their conclusion was that sterilization of the pill is more satisfying to couples. But if you look at the data, health risk, zero with NFP. You want health risk? More irritable, less with NFP, more depressed, pill and sterilization, more pleasure. Well, 27.8 is not too bad. Sex or drive. So I would say you're going to have depressed, irritable, maybe a little pressure. But look at these sexy sex drive. And <laughs> no, but you know the poor things. Couples ask me when they're having difficulty with anything. What is your choice? Um, you know, and the husband, be a man. That I'll be talking about kingship. Do you want things that harm you, your wife? Don't you want to protect her? Um, 
date in regards to you know, the consequences of using contraceptive, there's, there's still in regards to this question, does it harm marriage? There hasn't been studies. Mercedes Wilson did a, well, a study that's not very scientific. But the National Survey of Family Growth is a large population-based study that is your federal government, your tax money pays for it. University of Michigan collects this every four or five years. You can access this as um, research scientists, and I do a lot of that. I usually I'm, I'm present that at you know, University of Faculty Life Conference. But at NACFLAM, I wanted to answer that question about does it promote divorce or not? <clears throat> and so I looked at what is called odds ratio. What is the likelihood of being divorced by ever use of the pill, sterilization, rhythm, NFP. They do break down rhythm and NFP, and then I looked at church attendance. You have to look at 1.0 means there's really no difference. When you go above, it is percentage above. So this would say, this is not significant. This, this, and this is significant. When you go above one or below one, below one means less, above one means more. So being sterilized, you have over two times more likely to be divorced. Rhythm, a little bit less. NFP, about you know, 47%. That's less in regards to about 63% less likely to get divorced than um, not being on NFP or ever used. But I think there's also that faith aspect and very much church attendance. The importance of faith, when we look at it, doesn't pull it out. But church attendance, by church attendance, I break it down to every week or more, or, and then that's less. And that becomes a pretty powerful indicator. But you can see the percentages of ever use of NFP divorce and percentages of never use of NFP. So I'm beginning, I'm going to try to uh, develop this in a scientific paper. Now, I just recently published in the uh, Lynn Acre Quarterly a article on the spiritual care of people with natural family planning. We did a qualitative study. We looked at spiritual responses, spiritual problems, spiritual interventions. I'm not going to go into it. These are some of the responses, personal struggles, relational struggles, personal relational growth. Um, interventions, however, use of prayer, referral to bioethicists, NFP physician, building confidence. So being with these couples and also having an online community of support was very important. Um, especially if they're going through these transition, difficult transitions. I'm almost through. Three more slides. Um, but I look at NFP as a spiritual practice because it develops self-mastery. If you think about it, abstinence is like, well, abstaining when we have to abstain during Lent or fasting. That's a spiritual exercise. Well, couples are called to that in their marital lives. Um, and I believe it deepens the relationship and this keeps the sexual embrace new. So, as I mentioned, it compares to practice of, of fasting. Uh, Dr. Grabowski, a moral theologian from Catholic University, talks about this kingship in helping the man, the husband, develop self-mastery and respect for his life. That's part of that kingship. As such, NFP is essentially a spiritual practice. Final conclusion, NFP is a spiritual practice and intervention not without struggles in its use. However, the struggle and worth, the gifts and benefits are worth the struggle and worth the efforts of health professionals to aid in its youth. And I mentioned, <clears throat> I will end with Dr. Ojino. He's a, I think a Shinto or an atheist, he's not a Christian for sure, but he had the insight in regards to the holiness of that fertile time that when you're, not on, when you're on contraception, 
you don't have that sense of that fertile time and that holiness. A woman has a fertile and sterile sterility phase. These alternating periodically. The formal period is a holy time at which a life of new sons and daughters, images of God, will be created. Thus will the married life be idealized and sanctified. An initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com Be transformed by the renewal of your mind.